Let's open our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 31. Genesis, chapter 31. By the way, Jamie, uh, somebody said that they had to have something to eat when all those witnesses gathered together at Galilee. So the food had to come from somewhere. So feeding the Lord's people is not a bad thing, is it? But I know there's different thoughts on that passage, obviously. Genesis chapter 31 and verse 1. Concerning the words of Jacob, he heard the words of Laban's sons saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's has he gotten all this glory. Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before. But the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father, and your father hath deceived me, and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said thus, The speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, The ring-straked shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring-straked. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father, and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived, that I lifted up mine eyes, and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and gristled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and gristled, for I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. We left off yesterday with Jacob, who was leaving the land and actually fleeing from Laban. We saw some of the things that occurred in the time span that's given to us in this portion of the book of Genesis with Jacob's life. I wanted to just back up a bit to chapter 31 and give just a few things from these verses, the first several verses of the chapter not only to set the stage for what's about to happen, but to pass on something else that might be a practical help, especially to young folks. One of the questions often asked by young people is, how can we know the will of God? Now, if you'd asked me that 30 years ago, I would have given you a simple ABC formula. I mean, I had it nailed down. I preached sermons on it. How to Know the Will of God. I could have written a book on it, How to Know the Will of God. But as years went by, well, I had to revise my theology a bit in that area. And uh, I had to rethink some of the things that I thought about what I thought was a very simple thing. 
about how to determine the will of God in very specific things. But having said that, I really say that to, to, to say the next thing, that I'm not giving you a simple formula. So don't go out and do something crazy and say, well, Larry said if I just did this that I can be sure that that's God's will. But you will notice something in this chapter. What is it that gets Jacob moving? And there are several things that you find about how the guidance came to Jacob to know when the time was to leave. For one thing, sometimes that guidance comes through the circumstances. And the circumstances are not always pleasant circumstances. can be difficult circumstances. But you notice first in, in chapter 30 and verse 25 that it seems that a conviction came in Jacob's own heart. It says in chapter 30, verse 25, It came to pass when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away that I may go into mine own place and to my own country. So there seemed to come something from the heart, if you will, of Jacob uh, regarding the desire to leave and get back to that country. And then you notice the circumstance. In chapter 31 and verse 2, he noticed the countenance of Laban that it was not towards him as it once was before. So there was a change in the surrounding circumstances. Conviction came to his own heart, a change in circumstances. And then in verse 3, God speaks to him. There was a word from God to him. Now, Today, God has spoken to us in His Word, and as that has been said many times before, I just repeat that which has been said. If God were to speak to you today out of heaven, He wouldn't say anything that He hasn't already said in this book. So it's not a matter of special revelation coming from God. God has spoken to us today in His Word. So there were circumstances that were changing. There was a conviction in Jacob's own heart. And there was a word from the Lord that he could look to. And then there's one more thing. Jacob sent in verse 4 and called Rachel and Leah and discussed the matter with them. Shocking to some folks, but he had wives in this case. And uh, today, those of us who have wives or others, he sought counsel from them. He didn't just make his decision in a void in that sense. So maybe that'll be a little help to you in a practical way if you seek to apply those things and use those as general principles. And you know then that Jacob rose up and he began in chapter 31 verse 17 to sneak off and, and carry away everything that he had and Laban takes off in hot pursuit. Until finally they meet. We read in verse 36 that Jacob was angry or wroth and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? 
He says in verse 41, as he begins to recount his service, Thus have I been twenty years in thy house, serve thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, had been with me, surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction, and the labor of my hands, and rebuked thee yesternight. It seems as the story begins to uh, progress in the life of Jacob as it is recounted for us, yes, it's been 20 years. 20 years is a long time. Yes, he'd been deceived. Yes, he'd looked in the mirror of him and saw himself reflected in the man called Laban. And which one was the greater cheat or the greater con man? We'll just have to leave you to decide from the Scripture. Imagine Jacob looking at Laban and saying, You tricked me! (laughs) Yeah, and your point is? (laughs) And yet, over it all, God was superintending. And as we say, it's a bigger story, isn't it, in one sense, or it's a story that's told at a different level. How the people who ultimately would become to be known by that name Israel, being abused often by the nations around, and being mistreated by the nations around, and yet still able to amass wealth and resources, miraculously. And God behind the scenes, even though in this section of Jacob's life, the 20 years that we have in Scripture, there's no mention of the tent, really. There's no mention of the altar that characterized that pilgrim character of the the patriarchs. And while it seems to us that Jacob may have forgotten God, God hadn't forgotten Jacob. And still in his grace and in his providence, he he looks over him. And so Jacob makes a covenant with Laban, and the two of them make a covenant. It is called in verse 49, Mizpah. It says, The Lord watch between me and thee when we are absent one from another. I haven't seen one in a long time, but they used to make these little, I don't know what they were called, friendship necklaces or something, I guess, pendants. And, you know, you had a friend, and you have one half that said, the Lord watch between me and thee, and the other person had the other half. They sort of fit together like two pieces of a puzzle that said, uh, when we are absent one from another. A nice friendship thing. I want to tell you, that's not what they were saying here. (laughs) What they were saying here was, as they made this covenant, look, if you do this and if you do that, (laughs) all bets are off and I'm coming after you. The Lord watch you, you sneak. And though I can't see you, he'll be watching you, you cheater. And so they made that agreement, if you will as a witness. And then Jacob offers up sacrifice in verse 54 upon the mount, and so on. In chapter 32, Jacob went on his way. The angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mehanaim, which the margin of my Bible says, Two camps, two hosts. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. 
And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. And I have oxes, oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I might find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We, come, we came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee. And four hundred men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. <laughs> yes, he was greatly afraid and distressed. 400 men. I don't think Jacob thought, well, this is a nice greeting party that's coming. Because the last time he saw his brother Esau, when he fled from the house, Esau said, I'm going to kill him. And so you get the stage sort of set. He's got Esau and 400 men coming to, quote, greet him. He's got Laban behind him. And the stage is set. There's a lot of irony in this section of Scripture. Remember the two S's that were prevalent in Jacob's life, self-will and subtlety. And in this section of Scripture, uh, throughout, we find the irony that Jacob meets himself in Laban. We find the irony that the first to meet him on return is Esau, the very one that he fled to get away from. We find the irony that Rebekah, through all her scheming, lost the very thing that she sought to keep. We find the irony that Jacob has to face the very thing that he sought to avoid. And Isaac, he didn't die nearly as soon as he thought he was. And so, with Laban behind, and Esau before, Jacob is left, and he was in great distress. But Jacob always had a plan, didn't he? He still got a lot of Jacob in him at this point. And so Jacob, I don't know whether it was because of, you know, he saw this, this God's host... God's, the angels of God that met him, these two camps, and he thought, you know, I got a plan. I'm going to divide uh, all the folks up into two groups. Whether that's what prompted him or not, it certainly seems to fit the setting here. So he comes up with a plan because that's what Jacob was good at. He said, I'll divide all the people into two groups, all the flocks, the herds, the camels, into two bands, which is the same wording that is used basically in chapter 32 and verse 2. So I'm going to, if Esau comes to the one company and smites it, then the other will be left to escape. That was his plan. And oh yeah, now I'll pray. Uh, now I'll pray. 
Why start that now? <laughs> and Jacob says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies. I don't want to be too hard on Jacob. Just like Jamie, and I think rightfully, didn't want to be too hard on Thomas. Because I tell you at this point, there does seem to be a turn in what the man says through his prayer. This is a prayer where he recognizes God's purpose. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac. You are the Lord which said unto me, Return unto my country, to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. And Lord, I am not worthy of all of your mercies which you've showed to me unto your servant. He recognizes in his prayer, and by the way, if you want a pattern for prayer, it's always good to look into the Scripture, isn't it, and see some of the examples that have been recorded for us. Here's a prayer that recognizes God's purposes. Here's a prayer that recognizes God's providence. Lord, I passed over with just my staff, and now look at me. I've become two bands. Look at what you've done, Lord. I had nothing. And now, Lord, look at what you have done. Here's a prayer that recognizes and seeks God's protection. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And he lays hold to God's promise. You said, Lord, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night. And he took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother, 200 she-goats, 20 he-goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milch camels uh, with their colts, 40 kine, 10 bulls, 20 she-asses, 10 foals. That was a lot of stuff for a man who went over with nothing but a stick in his hand and a man who had his wages changed 10 times and a man who had all the odds against him. And he divided them up into two into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said to his servants, You pass over before me. Put a space between drove and drove. So you get the idea. Here would come, you know, 40 camels, and they're, and they're young. And here would come so many uh, of the other animals, and, and so many other. Which I'm sure would take a little bit of a time span to get that going. And he said to the ones in the front, When Esau meets you and says, uh, whose are these, and, and where are you going, and whose are these before thee? You say, these be thy servant Jacob's, your servant. It's a present unto my Lord Esau. And he, he's back there somewhere. Now, whether he sought to soften him up, whether he was being deferential, he commanded them the second the third, all that followed the droves, in verse 19, say this to Esau, 
when you find him. And say this also in verse 20, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For in his heart he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. And perhaps he will accept me. Now, I don't know, again, if I want to be too hard on this man. If I had a brother like Esau, who was such a skillful hunter with a bow, and was such a a macho man, a man of the earth like Esau was, who had murderous intents, I don't want to sit here and go spiritual on you either and say, well, I never would have done that. I wouldn't have been afraid. I would have trusted God. (laughs) Because if I said that to you, I'd be less than truthful. And yet at the same time, had not God told him he'd protect him? Had not God told him that his seed would be multiplied? Couldn't have descendants. And then again, maybe he thought, well, the seed's already here. Now, no more good for me. I don't know. But as I said, there's still a lot of Jacob and Jacob. So whether he's at this point fully trusting the Lord or not, I leave it to you in the account of Scripture to decide. But there came the moment when Laban was behind him. Esau was before him. He took, it says in verse 22, his wives his women servants, his eleven sons. He passed over the Ford Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over everything that he had. Which meant that he was left there with nothing and no one except for God and His promises and the promises of His care for him. I sometimes say, you know, we, I know, and I say we, me, I read my Bible too fast. I, I got used to in the early days, it's not a bad thing to do, it's a good thing to do, reading through the Scripture. Had to get through it once in a year at least, you know, and, and uh, wanted to do that. And it's a good thing. You've got to familiarize yourself with the Scripture. A lot of folks think, well, you know, uh, I read and I don't remember, I don't retain. But y- you'd be surprised. You keep reading the Scripture, reading it, reading it, familiarizing yourself with the passages, and before you know it, one day this starts connecting, and that starts clicking, and you got some material there for the Spirit of God to work with, to call to your remembrance. But anyway, in doing that sometimes, you know, just reading through, you you don't stop, and you don't think about the scene and what, what was actually going on and what it must have been. I want you to think about this for a moment. This is a man who's fearing for his life. And his greatest fear at that point is Esau, who has promised he's going to kill him. He's heard there's this little greeting party coming with 400 to meet him. He is, in mild, mild way of saying it in Scripture, greatly distressed. He's in panic mode. Fear sets in. He comes up with this plan. He sends all the stuff over. He finally sends all the women over, all the servants, all the children, nobody there but Jacob at night. 
and somebody jumps him. Now, the Scripture doesn't say it, but I'll bet you, as we often say, a dollar to a donut, that the first thought in his mind is, Esau's got me. (laughs) He's got me now. And he started to wrestle back with the one who wrestled with him. It says in verse 24, Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. I'm not sure what time it was. I don't know that it went on, as we would say, all night. But apparently it was long enough that when the angel saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and his thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He knocked his leg out of joint at the thigh. Now, If you were wrestling with somebody and struggling with somebody and they knocked your leg out of joint, beside the fact of the pain, really there's only one thing you can do at that point. You either let go or you hang on. And Jacob hung on until finally the angels of the Lord said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Now part of me wants to say, Jacob, I thought you already had it. But the angel says, What is your name? Face up to who you are. Who are you? I am Jacob. Now, I don't remember, memory being what it is, in this section of the book of Genesis, I can't say affirmatively, and maybe some of you could do the research on that, it won't be that difficult, when the last time that question was asked. But I know one time it was asked, when he stood before Isaac's bed. And the question was asked, who are you? I am Esau, he said, your son. And he wasn't. Now the question's asked, who are you? I am Jacob. He has to face who he is. And part of life in God's design to bring us to the place where he wants us to be is to put us through and allow us to go through the circumstances of life that bring to the surface the reality of who we are. Because we got to face in honesty who we are and what we are before we can ever see change brought about. I laughed this morning at prayer meeting inside, not outside loudly, but as we were giving prayer requests, and there were prayer requests given for uh, the volleyball tournament today. Apparently there's some rivalry we know nothing about, except those of us who are of the East Coast Conference who will be challenging, we call our team NoCal. Because <laughs> none of us will be from California. So NoCal is going to challenge SoCal, LoCal, 
and all the rest. But anyway, the prayer was about, oh, you know, help us just to have a good game and, and have a good testimony. Why would anybody ever pray that about sports? <laughs> Certain things in life, I don't know why, but sports and competition is certainly one of them, where the hackles of the flesh will rise up. And you'll find stuff in you that will make you wonder. I mean, that a saved person could want to grab somebody by the throat and throttle them. <laughs> For sports? <laughs> it doesn't take much, does it? Sometimes what's lying just underneath the surface. And through the experiences of life as believers, when we see what we really are, we have to own it before God, don't we? You know, there's certain concepts in the Bible I just want to say that I kind of struggle with really wrapping my mind around. And, uh, you know, I kind of know what they mean, but I wish I knew a little more fully. And, and one of those is about confessing our sins. Because there is a sense in which we say just the very acknowledgement of that thing. In other words, agreeing with God agreeing with God, whether it's with certain specificity or not, but agreeing, God, look, I've sinned. I've blown it. This is what I am. I'm Jacob. I confess it before you. And he said, Thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Some discussion yesterday about when it is actually that we can put our finger on the spot and say that Jacob was saved at that point. Different from Abraham, isn't it? Clearly in Scripture, God took Abraham out on one of those starry nights like we saw last night and said, start counting. And as an old evangelist friend of mine who's with the Lord now used to say, Abraham's the only man that he knows that ever got saved because he was bad at math. He couldn't count the stars. There were too many of them. And Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. There in Genesis chapter 15. We don't have a verse like that with Jacob. Some say it was before. Some say it was at the latter. Others say it was here. Again, I leave that to you to work out. But no doubt about it at this point, he met God face to face. I do want to suggest to you that there are often in Scripture different levels at which we can take things. And the Scripture says in the book of Romans prophetically that ungodliness will be turned from Jacob when the Redeemer comes out of Zion. That the nation will be born in a day that they will be changed and their very national existence preserved when they meet God face to face. 
in a future coming day. But at this point, the change occurs to a man named Jacob. It occurs because all he could do at this point was hang on. And Jacob had to learn not so much what he was in himself, all his scheming, all his planning, all his conniving, but yielding to God and dependence upon Him in brokenness. And if it took knocking his leg out of joint, think of what his name was. The heel tripper had his leg knocked out of joint. And all he could do was hang on. And God wants to get you to that place. And He wants to get me to that place. That's why in life we go through such difficulties sometimes, as believers particularly, that the Lord can use whatever it is to get us to that place where we yield unto Him and yield ourselves unto Him and own ourselves in honesty for what we are. Jacob, at this point, was a changed man. He was changed because he was given a different name, a name with a different character. He was still the same man, but he was different from God's perspective. And folks that know you know that you're still, in a sense, you're the same person, but you know if you're a believer in Christ, God sees you differently. Yes, you see me, and you see my faults, and you see my weaknesses, and you see my failures, and God help me that in the language of Ephesians 4, my walk might equal that character that, that is what I am in Christ. But I fall short of that. There's one thing that will never change. The fact that if I'm a believer in Christ, I'm in Christ. And that's where God sees me. And that's why He loves me. Not because of how I perform. Not because of how many marks I get on the test. He loves me and it'll never get any less and it'll never get any more because He loves me because He sees me in His Son. What a relaxing thing that is. What a motivation that is for life. And Jacob at this point was a changed man also, not just because of his name, but you notice what it says as Jacob was changed in verse 31. He passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted, or he limped upon his thigh. His walk would never be the same. He was a man who was changed in his name. He was a man who was changed in his walk. He walked differently after this. And everybody saw that he had a different walk. And you know, if you were to ask him, why do you walk differently than you used to? He'd have to tell you if he summarized it, because I met God. And God changed me. And now I walk differently. God help us to take those opportunities to tell people who notice, hopefully notice, that we do walk differently than we did before. Why we walk differently than we did before. Not because we go to church. Or not because we've got some kind of religion. Or not because we condemn them. But we've met God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's changed our walk. 
That's why we walk differently. So what a story. He enters the land of promise and blessing marked by personal weakness. And I think of all the amazing things when I think of Jacob that just kind of blows my mind is the fact that God would wrestle with a man. That he would come down in that sense and wrestle with him. Not only with a man, but with a man like Jacob. That he would so involve himself in the life of an individual. What's your concept of God? A God that is far removed and uninterested? A God that once you get saved says, uh, Look, I'll be in heaven. Make it there best you can. See you if and when you get there. Or a God who is so intimately involved in your life that like Jacob, He would wrestle with you and not abandon you and work with you. A God of grace and long-suffering and mercy who wouldn't give up on you until He makes you into what He wants you to be. That's God's grace, isn't it? Praise the Lord. May the Lord speak to our hearts.